Uh, last week we talked about all of God's promises. Remember that? We're 7,400 plus. And rather than going through all of them, Paul gives one real short answer to the, God's promises and with one word. Yes. <laughs> yes. All God's promises are yes. Not yes and no. They're all yes. And so we say amen, which also means yes. When you say yes uh, to a, a, a prayer or a, a sermon, you're saying Yes, I believe it. So be it. That's right. I agree. And uh, so God's promises are all yes. Let's uh, start with prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for another uh, beautiful day after the snow, the sunshine. uh, Just um, is a harbinger for us of spring and new life. And Father, just seeing the the seasons, the changes uh, from winter to spring, almost is like a signal to our hearts of the new life that we have in Christ and the hope of eternal glory beyond this world. We thank you for Jesus, our Savior, who who came in the flesh, Emmanuel, to dwell with us and to make it possible for us to dwell with you. Bless our study today and help us to uh, see the unseen. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, is it possible, does it make no logical sense to see the unseen? There are numerous scriptures that tell us we can do that. Through faith. Yeah, through faith. Through the eyes of faith. Uh, we, we look not at the things that are seen, but things that are unseen. And the things that are seen, they're only temporary. All that's around us, even our lives, our bodies... Uh, as a dwelling of our spirit, it's all temporary. Uh, And C.S. Lewis uh, called it uh, in his writings, Shadowlands. This world is uh, uh, just a shadow. If you read the book of Hebrews, that word is actually used when uh, the writer's describing the tabernacle and all the arrangement and the furnishings of it. And he says, they're a shadow of things to come. They're a symbol of a greater glory. Uh, into the tabernacle or temple went the priests, and only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies. And, and the Hebrew writer calls the Holy of Holies heaven. And it's by faith and the gift of Christ that we enter into the Holy of Holies. I was thinking about that the other day. Uh, there's a verse, and I should have looked it up, so I had the reference. It says um, that by prayer we enter into the very throne room of God. Now no one could do that. God lives in unapproachable light and no one has seen him nor can see him and yet by prayer we enter into um, communion with God, into the very throne room of God. But we do that by by faith. Uh, Kay, you brought up a book a couple of weeks ago. I think it was Imagine Heaven. Was that the book? Uh, so we have to kind of imagine heaven. And Paul writes that uh, it's almost unimaginable. No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor entered in the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. We can't even begin to imagine what heaven is like. Um, so how do we imagine heaven? I was thinking... Um, about that question and remembered that song by John Lennon where he it's titled Imagine and he says imagine there's no heaven imagine there's no hell imagine there's no religion uh, and, and on and on and he says it's it's not hard uh, uh, join me and in, in, he was an atheist of course so you know it takes faith on both sides it takes faith to imagine there is no heaven and it takes faith to imagine there is a heaven. And to me, to think or imagine of no heaven almost seems unbearable. Because when we experience death, and it's all around us, and we'll all experience it, uh, it's, it would be heartbreaking for me to imagine that that's the end. End of chapter, end of book. Uh, End of story, end of your life. 
and um, there's nothing beyond that. And imagine a world where there's no faith, no religion. What would this world be? I mean, it's half, I don't know what the statistics are, but it seems like we're split down the middle. Half the world doesn't believe in things and what in, in uh, the eternal, and so what's happening? What do we have in our world? What would a world be without Christian faith, without belief in God? Bob? So, on the news, night before last, I think they were talking about a category of people now called nuns, not in UNs, but in O-N-E-S, nuns. And they're really a large segment now of the younger generation who are kind of faith agnostic. You know, they had a percentage for Catholics and Protestants, and then these other segments of the U.S. population were almost 40%. So a lot of our younger generation of kids are non-affiliated with religion. Yeah. Wow, where's that coming? Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the organization headquartered in Madison, Wisconsin, all places. Um, Freedom from Religion Foundation. Freedom mm -hmm. from Religion Foundation. Well, I was watching a movie the other night. Well, kind of a movie, but one of the individuals said, "There are no, there is no God. We are gods." And I'm thinking, I would hate to put my faith in another human <coughs> being for the whole existence of my life. Yeah. I can barely handle myself. I can't imagine anybody else handling me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about your wife, Richard? <laughs> I'm just surprised you hadn't shot me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, imagine a world where there's no heaven. Uh, Katie, what is that book about, Imagine Heaven? You brought that up a couple weeks ago. You know, um, I, I definitely recommend it. It, it is about near-death experiences. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the author has written about different people, a number of different people who had near-death experiences and what they saw. But I think the main focus of what I... I read that people are seeing is a light, an incredible <clears throat> light that shines, that um, is welcoming and comforting and that sort of thing. Not that some people haven't experienced the other, but I just think about heaven and uh, it is and and what they see, the incredible vividness of color and you know landscapes and what have you, and it's just so interesting and so. Uh, comforting to me. Okay. Yeah. That. Uh, by the way, that book was uh, the author is John Burke. If you'd like to look it up, you can order it or um, find it on Kindle. Imagine Heaven, John Burke. It's about what he calls NDEs, near death experiences. He started out as an engineer, I think, by trade, and started researching this just out of interest and. Um, uh, reading stories, um, interviewing doctors who had resuscitated people whose hearts had stopped. They were clinically dead for maybe minutes, several minutes. Um, he interviewed some of the folks that had these experiences himself, and it changed his life. And um, he became a pastor. Now I, he he pastors a large church somewhere in in the south. Imagine heaven. Um, if uh, Betty were with us this morning, she would be raising her hand because when I talked about that a couple of weeks ago, and I can't remember in what context, she said, my uncle had a out-of-body, near-death experience. And he, he clinically died. He was dead for several minutes. Morning. Morning, Richard. And uh, he was revived, he was resuscitated, it got his heart going again, and he came back, she said. And he said he let him go, he did not want to come back. And then, uh, and she said after that he had no fear of death whatsoever. 
he realized that death was, oh, that was nothing. You know? It was like a dream and waking uh, to, to something else. And uh, that is one of the commonalities of these experiences. People lose their fear of death. And, and Hebrews, uh, the passage where it says that Jesus had to become like the seed of Abraham, he had to take on flesh and blood in order to, that he might experience death like every other human being, and that in doing so he might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, and free us who through all of our lives lived in fear of death. Jesus came to destroy death. And so when Paul writes uh, 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Oh, death, where's your, your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? There's Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So yeah, there were these commonalities that people were, talked about stepping into the light. Like they're traveling through a tunnel and suddenly waking in a, in a wonderful and brilliant and beautiful world. Um, that probably all seems very subjective to us um, because we haven't experienced it. Uh, I don't know if you, any of you had any folks in your own life that have had similar kind of experiences. Keith? Let me back up to where you talked about seeing Jesus. I remember doing a lesson from, uh, in Birmingham, Germany. And it was titled, We Would See Jesus, and that's a quote from the scriptures. Yeah. How many times have we heard, I can't see why? I can't see why I have to do this. I can't. Because vision is probably the poorest way to see Jesus. Yeah. We can learn more about it from scripture and see what kind of a person he was. Yeah. <clears throat> And Paul's prayer to the Ephesians, remember, was that God would open our eyes that we might see the glory and the hope that we have that's set before us. And um, we sing this song occasionally here, uh, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, I want to see you, I want to see you high and lifted up, see you in all your glory. I forget how the rest of it goes, but um, seeing the unseen is... Um, it, t it takes faith. But it also helps to read it, yes. But you got all these people that are having these experiences and everything, but saved and unsaved people, they're having these experiences. Okay. That's that's the one area that seems to be concerning to me, yeah. is that if you've got somebody that's not a Christian, doesn't have this hope of heaven, and they have this wonderful experience, it's like that might be a little bit... Yeah. You know, now if they went and they said, "Man, I saw burning flames," and you know, well, that, I'm glad that, I'm back. Yeah, <laughs> actually, it covers that in the book of Heaven. Because one guy was uh, from the Eden, and he did have that experience, and he went to a place of darkness, and they did unspeakable things to him. Wow. That, that, that and he screamed out for Jesus, and he felt this uh, this overwhelming comfort come and. He was whisk away, and, he, and when he came back, he totally changed his life. Yeah, maybe some of us need that. I've read about somebody woke up screaming, "Don't let me die! Don't let me go back there!" Uh, there was a book several years ago. I back in the '70s, I remember reading. It was called uh, uh, the author was Moody. I can't remember his first name. Um, life after life was the title of the book, and he was one of the first in that field of talking about uh, NDEs, near-death experiences. And it was like what you were talking about. Everybody had this wonderful experience of going into the light and seeing the glory of heaven. Um, but people questioned him and challenged him on that. It didn't seem to jive with Scripture. And he began to study it more, and then he began to do more interviews. And he came out with another book, Reflections on Life After Life, <laughs> in which he talked about uh, people descending into hell or in waking up in torment. And there's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. It says that the rich man died and lifted his eyes up in torment. The, uh, and Lazarus was carried by the angels into 
uh, it's a it's a expression of Abraham's bosom into Abraham of course was the father of their faith and um, our all our faiths and he uh, symbolized um, the hope and the promises and the covenant that God had made with with him way back uh, in Genesis chapter 12 Richard um, just a couple of things right Death then is not simply man's coming to an end. It is also entering a beginning. And he goes on to say, a soul does not grow out of nothing. Does it then perish and dissolve into nothing? Yeah. Who's that quote by? Uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel. Oh, okay. <laughs> a good quote. Yeah. Yeah. You think about that. <laughs> I, I'll interject this and let you think about it because it's off topic. But um, you know, the James says the body without the spirit is what dead. Dead. Like faith without works is dead. The body without the spirit is dead. And so when we die, the body is without the spirit. In other words, the spirit leaves the body. So there's the body and there's the spirit. And um, and that spirit doesn't perish. That spirit goes on. And uh, numerous scriptures to talk about a conscious existence beyond the body. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. There is also the aspect that we will know who these people are. So maybe the body does continue to exist in some form because we're going to recognize these people. And there's been suggestions, take care of your body now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's another book you might want to write down. It's just simply titled Heaven by uh, Randy Alcorn. Alcorn is the author. Um, he's, he's more into the theology of uh, lots of scriptures in the book. And uh, he draws a conclusion uh, much uh, similar to N.T. Wright's book, of, um, Surprised by Hope, I think is the title of it, in which he sees a recreated earth as an Edenic paradise. And that's where we'll dwell um, in a resurrection body. So if the resurrection hasn't taken place yet, and it will at the last days, Scripture says, then what about these spirits that have, or the, um, the, the spirit or soul that's left the body after death? Where, where is it? Where do we go after we die? Uh, he sees, and I, I'm pretty much in agreement now with this after studying it, that heaven as we think of it presently is only temporary. That might come as a, a little bit of a shock to think about it. But there is a resurrection day coming. I used to think about, well, if we go to heaven and we're there in this perfect and beautiful place, why do we need a resurrection body? But that's part of God's plan. To Those who are in their graves will be raised. And Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power through his resurrection. And Paul said he, he would face anything. He would gladly suffer anything so that he might some, somehow attain to the resurrection of the dead. And so he looked forward to that, that great getting up morning, I guess you call it, that resurrection of our, our physical bodies. So where now is the spirit at death? So we'll talk a little bit more about that, but let's come back to this uh, passage in 2 Corinthians 12. So we left it kind of hanging uh, last week. 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10. Um, who would like to read that for us? I'll call on somebody. <laughs> Fred. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, 
whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up in a paradise and heard, heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. <coughs> Excuse me. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these sur surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may be set, may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in the weaknesses, in the insults, in the hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Yeah. Great, great passage of scripture. And remember how we studied Paul's first step into the light in um, Acts 9. And he saw Christ. He, uh, he was blinded by the light and uh, led by the hand into uh, the city of Damascus. I, I was reading that again, and I thought uh, God also speaks to another person in that same narrative. And uh, um, Ananias. Ananias, yeah. And he says, Ananias, I want you to go into Damascus and go down Straight Street and inquire for one named Saul of Tarsus, for he's praying. <laughs> Ananias objects. He says, I've heard about this guy. He's got brought great harm to the church. He's persecuting Christians. He was actually um, um, putting folks to death or giving his uh, assent to their death. And we saw that earlier in Acts 7 where Stephen was stoned and uh, it says they laid their cloaks, the people that stoned him laid their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul, Saul of Tarsus. Uh, <laughs> straight street that was Paul he was just a straight arrow I thought he just uh, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees he was a, a Hebrew Hebrews he believed in keeping the strict letter of the law in fact he said when it comes to the demands of the law I was what what, is, what was his boast I was faultless he says faultless <laughs> Uh, how many of us would say, you know, I've lived my life so straight, I've never made a mistake. I'm like uh, Sir Lancelot, yeah. Samoa, tis I, I've, I'm perfect. If uh, I had been in Eden with uh, Eve, we'd still be there, he said. So. so he steps into the light and he sees the glory of Christ and he realizes all that he's been doing and the straight arrow that he was, had prided himself in was all wrong. And that just Jesus was his Messiah. Now later he sees this. He has the second uh, experience. It doesn't mention light or anything, but he is caught up into the third heaven. And uh, he calls it paradise here um, in verse um, 4. I was caught up to paradise. I heard inexpressible things that man is not permitted to speak. One version says uh, things that are impossible to speak. Imagine someone coming from the time of Paul and stepping into our world and then going back and trying to explain uh, our time to ancient people. It's just, you know, what's that flying over? Can't believe it. Look at the size of that bird. <laughs> uh, to explain the lights and, you know, everything modern that we have. And uh, and then you you know you take us in our time and you 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 know 
uh, project that a thousand years into the future if there is a thousand year future or heaven in its glory. And uh, we couldn't even begin to explain it, the glory and wonder of it all. Um, so anyway, Paul sees, um, he calls it visions and revelations, and he's not sure what uh, experience he had that enabled him to, to be caught up into the third heaven. Um, he says whether it was in the body or out of the body, what was an NDE, a near-death experience, or was I just like John in the book of Revelation, lifted up in heaven in a vision and, and to see the, the glory of uh, what was there and come back and not even be able to explain it. Well, there is a time in Paul's life in Acts 14, um, let's see, uh, verses 19, 20. We, I, we won't read that, but Paul was, there was a time in his early life and, and maybe he mentions this happened 14 years prior to his writing of Second Corinthians, where he was uh, stoned and left for dead, it says in the text. Maybe he was dead. Uh, maybe he, then it says he miraculously revived and, and came back. Well, it doesn't say he came back to life, but it says he got up and went on his way. <laughs> I thought, you know, there he was uh, at the stoning of Stephen. And there he was at his own stoning uh, for preaching the same thing, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. So it's possible that he had an out-of-death, out-of-body experience. And he was caught up. And he saw things he could not explain. What is, uh, what is this three heavens? The third heaven. What's the third heaven? The Jews believe in three heavens. The uh, the heaven we see, the heaven that's space, and then paradise or the heaven beyond that. Yeah, three heavens. The, where the birds fly, uh, the rain and the snow come down from heaven. Isaiah 55.10 The heavens declare the glory of God. The planets, the stars, and the wonders of the universe. Uh, Psalm 33, 13, from heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. And Isaiah 66, 1, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. So three heavens, okay? So he's caught up to the dwelling place of God. And he calls it paradise. Uh, paradise is a, is a Persian word. It's only used a few times in the New Testament. Um, can you think of another place where it's? The thief on the cross. The thief on the cross, yeah. Today you shall be with me in paradise. So I was reading Andy, uh, uh, Randy uh, Alcorn last night, and he said, well, there's a misplaced comma. There was no grammar uh, grammar marks in, uh, in Greek, and so the translators added the comma. Verily, verily, I say unto you, comma, today you shall be with me in paradise. He said, no, it should read, Verily, verily, I say unto you today, comma, you shall be with me in paradise, which could you know, speak of another future time. Now, I, I tend toward the, the translation in most of our Bibles where the comma comes after uh, the word uh, today. Or no, before. Verily, verily, I say unto you, comma, today you shall be with me in paradise. So that's, um, let's see, that's, I guess I didn't write down the reference here. Um, no, I do have it. Luke 23, 43. Jesus' words to the thief on the cross. Uh, and also Revelation 2, verse 7. To him who overcomes... I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And that a reflection of uh, the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter uh, 22, where it also mentions uh, the tree in the midst of the garden, um, in, the, in the midst of a, of a recreated uh, Eden, paradise. So these few per verses, incidentally, the word overcome is a Greek word, uh, well, it's all Greek. 
uh, interesting word. It's Nike, N-I-K-E. So when you go into the shoe store and you try on a pair of uh, Nikes, <laughs> that Greek word is translated overcome or win or victory. Okay, so they, they boasted about if you have a pair of Nikes, you're going to win. I've often thought, I know people I wish that could have a Damascus Road experience like Paul. See something so awesome, so spectacular, they would instantly believe. I don't know what it is. Anybody have people like that in your life? I've got a nephew. <laughs> He's so far from God. Breaks his father's heart, breaks my heart from my brother. Um, and I said, you know, I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to pray the hounds of heaven <laughs> will pursue him. And they'll nip at his heels and he won't be able to outrun them and he'll be overcome. And you may not live to see it, brother, but might, maybe someday uh, young Mitch will uh, see the light. Maybe not literally the light of uh, a Damascus Road experience, but his heart might be opened. You know, it says in Acts, uh, the conversion of Lydia, God opened her heart. You know, and that's what we should be praying for, for so many that are, um, what did you call them? Not nuns. Nuns, yeah. N-O-N-E-S. And Larry, okay. if that happened to a non-believer, would it guaranteed that their reaction would be similar to Saul, because I think about the resurrection of Lazarus. How many people witnessed that? They knew he was dead for three or four days or whatever yeah. it was, and yet they didn't believe. <coughs> you know? Yeah, I remember our study in Acts uh, last Thursday. Uh, indeed, a notable miracle has been yeah. done, and we cannot <laughs> deny it. But yeah, deny it, they did. Yeah. Yeah. Around and they, they still didn't believe. Yeah. They truly should have because the Jewish thought at that point, and maybe still, is that the, the spirit of the individual hung around the body for three days. Yeah. After that, that was a common Jewish belief. Yeah. Well, that, that res resurrection was after the three days. So the spirit had gone. Yeah. Yeah. That's why throughout history, people would say, "Show us a sign," and even when God has shown a sign, they don't believe. And hardened hearts. Well, a lot of people have had these kind of experiences, uh, even doubters and unbelievers, um, <clears throat> and wake up and begin to see life totally different. Uh, you can go to. Uh, YouTube and find numerous uh, stories like this of people who have had NDEs, near-death experiences. One book I have was by a, a neurosurgeon who um, uh, who was an atheist. I don't know if he was an atheist. He didn't believe in anything. He was a scientist. He believed in science. And he uh, got some terrible uh, illness and he clinically died. And he told, when he was resuscitated, brought back, he told about going into the light. And uh, suddenly he was in this beautiful paradise. Like you said, uh, Katie, the lights, the colors were just so vibrant and so real and more real than anything he'd ever experienced. And he lived to write a book about it, <laughs> his uh, near-death experience. <laughs> So um, it certainly changed Paul's life. And he writes later, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8, We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So when the, the body without the spirit is dead, when the spirit leaves the body, where does it go, according to Paul? It's at home with the Lord. Philippians 1.22 For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Imagine yourself saying that, to die is gain. Uh, he spoke, though, about his need to continue living in the body for the sake of the Corinthian brethren. Um, 
He said, I am torn between these two, whether to stay here or to go and to be uh, depart and be with the Lord. I desire to depart, to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is necessary for you that I remain in the body. Live, die, depart, remain. The New Testament pictures it like striking your tent, taking your tent down and going home. Um, many of you have been uh, overseas or deployed somewhere, and you, where do you want to be when you're there? You want to be home, okay? And that was Paul's greatest desire. You know, Larry, it's interesting you said how this changed Paul's life. Yeah. But his physical life was not changed for the better. I mean, here was a man of position and power and money and leading pretty good life on earth. And then he has this experience. And now his life is persecution and work and travel and preaching yeah. and you know, getting bit by snakes and that kind of stuff. <laughs> Not a very pleasant personal life. Yeah. But the change of the heart and the understanding yeah. is so significant. And a lot of times we've been around people that have that feeling that their life should change for the better here on earth if they become a Christian. We had an example in California where after a short period of time, the guy had become a Christian, and his physical life, his income, his condition, whatever, did not improve within a few months. So he decided Christianity wasn't working. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I was just thinking, you said that God saying to the angels, we can use a man like that. <laughs> Uh, and we talked about his pedigree, his background, his education, his, um, and from God set him apart, he said, in one place from his birth. And so all this um, Pharisee of Pharisees business was actually grooming him for, for the great mission. That, and think of it, 20, of the 27 books of the New Testament, he wrote 13 of them. And uh, he's, he uses the gifts that God has given him to, you will bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings of the earth, and I'll show you how much you must have, must suffer. And so he, and we said last week, did, you know, most of us would say, uh, I didn't sign up for this, <laughs> this task of suffering instead of the, the glory of all my uh, earthly attainments. But what is the profit of a man gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Scripture says. And Hitchell says, life here and now is an opportunity. Once the threshold is crossed, the opportunity is gone. Yeah. That's what Paul was yeah. doing. And why does he say, I'm torn between the two, to stay or to go, to remain or depart? He knew where there was a better life. Yeah. Yeah, the, the better uh, to be with Christ, uh, at home with the Lord. But he but, knew his mission here yeah. was critical and part of God's will. Yeah. What, and what does that say about our lives? We have a mission. Yeah. And as long as we're here, as long as we're breathing, as long as we're above room temperature, <laughs> we, um, we have a mission to, to accomplish. And... Uh, when it's when that mission is finished, take me home. I have a we have a Sharon. I have a sweet lady that's a dear friend of ours. Uh, her husband Roger was uh, an elder for years and years in our Minneapolis church. But he died last year. He was a good man. Every time the door was open, he was there <laughs> and uh, served the Lord faithfully. And now he's been gone for what two years, maybe Sharon. And uh, I asked about uh, his wife with a, when I called a friend, and he said, all she's saying is, I just want to go and be with my dear Roger. <laughs> he said, I just want to go and be with him. There's a, you know, they talk about, like, you know, when they went up on it for the transfiguration, like, hey, there's Elijah, you know, we can hear him. Yeah. Abraham, I think. Oh, yeah. And 
So you got that, and then you get the rich man and Lazarus, and you know, this little rich mm -hmm. man's in, in Hades, yeah. and he's suffering. But then, you know, in John it says, you know, don't be amazed for this, for a time is coming when all those who are in their graves will hear his, his voice. voice and come out. Yeah. So it's like, well, okay, so that's kind of interesting. So this says you're in a grave. I mean, the other place says the dead in Christ shall rise first. Yeah. Where are they rising from? You know, if you're in your grave. So are we going on or are we just basically going to sleep? Like Unconscious. Yeah, there's a whole doctrine called yeah. soul sleep that we sleep in the grave and it's like uh, laying down to sleep at night and the time passes and you're unconscious, you're not conscious of it and and it seems about a, about a second. I don't believe in soul uh, sleep myself. I think Paul when he says I want to depart and be with Christ and be at home with Christ and the passage you quoted from John of the resurrection and elsewhere it says that will take place at the last day. We're going to have a lesson on the resurrection uh, coming up, but it's it's different from the spirit leaving the body and going somewhere, and the and it's the body that that sleeps in the grave, but that body is going to be raised and recreated and renewed, and it won't be like this, <laughs> Richard. It won't be like these bodies we have now. I'll uh, be very, very different. Yeah, thank goodness. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, you should. You should. Well, there's this Jewish guy named Yussi, uh, and um, he was the ringleader of a, a whole sect of UCs like himself. And um, they didn't believe in very much. Okay. They lived a pretty sad life, in fact. Um, sad UC and uh, his, his kin, okay. And they uh, denied just about everything supernatural. Uh, you see, is like uh, slang for Yosef, and the shortened form of that is Joe. So, uh, picture going to a funeral, and there lies old Joe in his coffin, all poor old Joe, all dressed up and no place to go. Okay. <laughs> the sad. What? What they say about atheists? Uh, Acts 27 or 23 verse 7 the Sadducees say there is no resurrection there are neither angels nor spirits but the Pharisees acknowledged them all and believed in all of them Sadducees no resurrection no angels no spirits no life after death when you die it's all over uh, Pharisee uh, literally means to separate is the Greek word they were part of an ancient uh, Hasidian sect called the Pious Ones. They were zealous for religion. The only problem is they went far beyond religion to define what God didn't define with rules and rules and rules and oral tradition, they called it. Sadducees rejected the oral traditions of the Pharisees, and they rejected most of what the Pharisees believed in. Um, the Sadducees were the secularists and modernists of their day. Uh, they were Hellenizers. Um, the, uh, Hellenizers were, were the Greeks and greatly influenced uh, many of the more progressive uh, Jewish people. Uh, the Sadducees wanted to remove the restraints and legalism of Jude Judaism, relieve it of its narrowness. And N.T. Wright again calls, the, calls them, he has to always use big words, anthropological materialists. They were the J-I-N-O's, Genos, Genos, Jews in name only. Okay. <laughs> They considered themselves the more refined and elite, and elite of the Jewish people, and you well, keep that in mind when you read about the the Jews and or the Sadducees in Scripture. Josephus calls them men of the highest standing, 
but boorish and rude. And in Acts 5.17, we were studying this Thursday night, uh, those who aligned with the high priest were identified as the party of the Sadducees. So it was this, this political elite group at the top. And it appears that in the time of Jesus, the majority of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council of 70, were mostly Sadducees. Okay. So I, I was reading all this and thinking, look at the politics we have today. We've got the progressives, we've got the modernists, we've got the far right, you know, legalists, call them whatever you want. We're still uh, fighting these, these battles and uh, these wars. Um, it, it, it's sad. So the Sadducees uh, didn't believe in any of this. And that's why they're sad. Okay. <laughs> now Paul refers to being caught up. And interestingly, uh, in the in the passage that we sometimes refer to as the rapture in First Thessalonians four, it says, "We who are alive and remain shall be caught up, and to meet to meet the Lord in the air." The word "caught" is the same word here that he he uses in. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12. I was caught up into uh, the third heaven called paradise. <clears throat> the privilege of seeing heaven no doubt gave Paul courage to face his many great trials and sufferings and count, um, count them as but light and momentary, as he says in one passage, not worth comparing with the future glory that is to be revealed after this experience of first seeing Jesus on the road and then this one of being caught up. I asked the question about does it make logical sense? Eric, I thought of you. You're an ice fisherman, right? Yes, sir. So you lower your light. You cut a hole in the ice. Make sure it's good and thick. <laughs> yeah. Where my son lives, the ice gets three feet deep. You could drive a tank out on the lake. <clears throat> and he drills a hole down through the ice, and he lowers his line with bait uh, to the bottom of Lake O'Dowd. Okay. Now picture a fish at the bottom of the lake. His world is the murky depths of the lake. Muddy bottom, the weeds, looking for food, you know, just trying to survive. And it's lunchtime, and all of a sudden there's lunch dangling in front of him. <laughs> okay. So he grabs at it and he's caught up. To use the same metaphor, he's caught up. What do you do, Eric? <laughs> yeah, you reel him up. And this fish is screaming, you know, <clears throat> if he could talk, if we could understand fish language, he'd be, he'd be yelling, no, 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 I don't want to, this is my world. Don't take me out of my world. Let me go like we do it as we fear death. And he's pulled, he looks up and he sees a hole and he sees light. And he's pulled up out of the murky depths into what? A totally different world. A world that he's not made for. It's not his world. I end the story because we know what happens to the fish. <laughs> but, but it, to me, it's a it's an illustration of, um, you know, we can't understand heaven because it's we're not made for it. We're it's a different world. It's a different realm, if you will. And uh, even if, like Paul, we could see it, we couldn't explain it. How would that fish? You're a catch and release guy, right, Eric? <laughs> he goes back to the murky depths and he says, I just had a near-death experience. <laughs> and you wouldn't believe what I saw. Okay. I always wondered what his fellow fish thought as he was in. <laughs> Let me tell you about it. And they don't believe him. They, they can't believe him. That's crazy. Never seen anything like what he's describing. Uh, and another illustration, we're out of time, but... Uh, I think of birth, physical birth. A baby comfortable in the womb, growing, healthy, warm, nourished, and all of a sudden pushed and shoved and slapped, slapped and, <laughs> <laughs> and, 
into the light, into the light, into new life. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is, the scripture deals more with living than death. It doesn't talk about death. Yeah. It talks about how to live correctly. Yeah. In relation with Hashem. Yeah. And you know, that's interesting to be another topic uh, for us because that living is a preparation. We're being transformed into the image of, of, of Christ so that we can live even for beyond this life. Life that's life. Life that's fully life. Um, a friend of mine was, I'll just close with this. Uh, one of my teachers in school, his name was Abe Lincoln, believe it or not. Um, and the Lincolns, <laughs> uh, he was, you know, uh, one of these real conservative Church of Christ guys and um, skeptical about any, a lot of things. Oh, there's no miracles today, that sort of. Uh, outlook on life. He told about being gathered around his mother's bedside when she was dying. He, he and his siblings. And his mother was, I don't know if she was comatose or she, she was near death. She was uh, gasping for her last breaths. Suddenly she sat straight up in bed and said, Abe, it's so beautiful. And she slumped back on her bed dead. Now you say she wasn't dead, how could she have an out-of-body experience like that? Well, there's a man that had the same experience, Stephen. While he was being stoned, he looked up and he saw heaven opened. He saw Christ at the right hand of God. He said, I see it. And they, the angry crowd said, that's impossible, and they stoned him to death. So one you know, many people in Scripture had visions, like John. Come up hither, I will show you what must take place after this. And he saw visions of heaven and glory. So, um, I don't know, just keep looking up. That's why the Bible says, set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth. We can see it through the eyes of faith. And it's a whole new, wonderful world beyond anything we can imagine. We're not made for it yet. So next time we'll talk about this uh, dichotomy between the spirit leaving the body going somewhere and the resurrection at the last day. <laughs> okay. It's actually two different realms, but very similar. And body and spirit are reunited in a great getting up morning, great resurrection day. So we'll, we'll look at that next time. So Richard, you want to know, we're going to study about the resurrection actually next week. Okay. So we'll look at 1 Corinthians 15, read that chapter, and uh, meditate on it. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.